1: Somebody had to do it. Somebody, one person in the country, had to actually read the Liz Cheney book. People love to buy it. Actually, it's the number one best-selling book in the country, but nobody actually reads it. I have, and let me tell you something. It is a silly, weird, creepy book, and this just might be a threat to democracy, actually. is They like to use that phrase, Liz and her friends, They're the threat. Oh, by the way, they're also incredibly boring at times. Uh, You tell me, would you, did anybody run out and buy this book after watching Liz?
2: It was just obvious that we cannot survive as a nation if we have a president Mm. who's going to unravel the foundations of the republic. He himself is trying to unravel democracy. People need to take seriously and literally what he's saying, which is that he would, in fact... Uh, unravel our democracy, potentially terminate the constitution uh, it's it 's a risk we can 't take once we get through this election cycle uh, and we defeat donald trump i think there's there's clearly a huge amount of work that has to be done um, to restore you know to to right the ship of our democracy
1: oh my god ah. yeah uh She's not compelling. She's not a good book salesperson. Uh, we've heard her say this stuff a million times before, but the establishment takes care of its own, and they know how to move books. She was everywhere, right? On this show, that show, every single show they have, even conservative media, by the way, and they weren't nearly tough enough on her. There are extraordinary problems with this book, and extraordinary problems with, with Liz, uh, before I get to those, they wouldn't actually let her read the book. They understand that Liz puts people to sleep.
3: I want to read a part of your book that really stuck out to me. You said, and you've touched on a little bit of this, certainly Donald Trump would run the U.S. government with acting officials who you are not... see how
1: they don't let her actually read her own book? She's sitting right I want to
4: there. Read a, a section, a quote from your book, uh, Oath and Honor. Uh, today, none of us can tell if the story... <laughs> they they, they, they
1: do all the reading for so her. All right, I don't blame them, actually, on that point, because when Liz reads her book, it does pe- put people to sleep. I have the audio version as well.
2: This is the story of the moment when American democracy began to unravel. It's the story of the men and women who fought right, to save it. Goes it goes
1: on for 12 hours universe. of this stuff, all right? It is an excellent sleeping pill, but if you do get through it and you read it critically, you realize how manipulative, how dishonest, and yeah, I'd even say dangerous this book is. So Liz, of course, is the daughter of Dick, the former vice president of the United States. She has a lot in common with her father because her father, when he was vice president, famously exploited September 11, 2001 to accrue uh, more power than the executive government actually um, merited, warranted in the Constitution, spying on people without a warrant here domestically, uh, enhanced interrogation, also known as torture, a lot of things that just we let them get away with. And they use 9-11 as a pretext. Now, Liz is trying to do kind of the same thing with January 6th, using January 6th as a pretext to cancel a political movement, MAGA, and cancel Donald Trump. That's what she's doing. I think she learned it from her her father. The mistakes and the omissions, well, I wanna start with something that's near and dear to my heart, okay? What happened to Ashley Babbitt should not have happened. Now, this is an important moment in the book and I'm going to read from it. Uh, remember, she's on the January 6th committee. She should know all this stuff. How does she put it? Put that quote up for me. Three members of uniformed Capitol Police were forced to withdraw, leaving only a single plainclothes officer standing between the violent mob and members of Congress. Were forced to withdraw. This is the moment she's talking about.
0: Oh, I see people out there get hurt. I don't
5: wanna <laughs> <her>. I just <laughs>
1: Uh, you saw that, I saw that, did you see those cops walk away and you see them standing over there like they're on a coffee break? Were they forced to withdraw? No, they weren't. Ashley Babbitt is about to be killed. Here comes Officer Bird, Lieutenant Bird, and he's about to shoot Ashley Babbitt with police officers standing right there. They weren't forced to withdraw. Let me see those guys against the wall one more time, forced to withdraw, that did not happened. They were not forced to withdraw. They chose to withdraw for reasons we still don't know because the January 6th committee was a farce. There are some other things here. Some are serious, some not so serious, but this bothered me as well. Although Chris Miller had briefly been placed in charge of the National Counterterrorism Center. He had never managed anything close to the scale of the DOD, Department of Defense. He was quite possibly the least qualified nominee to become secretary of defense since the position was created in 1947. Talking about the acting secretary of defense, Chris Miller appointed in November of 2020. and This guy was totally qualified to be the secretary of defense. He had military experience, special operations experience. He actually fought in wars. She went out of her way to portray this guy as in over his head. You know who was in over his head? Dick Cheney. Zero military experience. And he went to the Pentagon, not after getting out of the military, but getting out of Congress. He was a congressman for 10 years before becoming Secretary of Defense. For her to say that about Chris Miller is a disgrace. And the people he appointed, his closest advisors back in 1989 and 1993, Pete Williams, Paul Wolfowitz, civilians, guys with zero military experience. And that brings me to Cash Patel. You know Cash, great American, a lawyer, a patriot, and an expert, worked for Devin Nunes. This is what she says about Kash Patel. Kash Patel was appointed on November 10th to serve as Chris Miller's chief of staff. As far as I knew, Patel had no military experience. He had never served in any capacity at the Defense Department. Uh, But Patel was a Donald Trump loyalist. Uh, The president had reportedly attempted to appoint Patel to several other positions throughout the government, including as deputy CIA director and deputy FBI director. Here's the important part only to meet strong resistance, including threats of resignation, from the agency professionals who would have had to work with Patel. This is interesting, and I have to emphasize it. This is a, a tool of the swamp, a tool of the deep state and their allies the threat of resignation. You know, we elect people, we think they're gonna run the government. No, a lot of unelected people are there and they threaten to leave, resign, en masse sometimes if the elected people tell them what to do. It's wrong. The other thing, very revealing, Liz Cheney keeps talking about all the threats, all the threats she was getting from MAGA. Totally overstated, lacks specificity as well, But you have to remember this, when they get threatened, which are wrong, it's really wrong to threaten anybody, got to make that clear, but they actually like it. It gives them status and prestige.
0: They, you know, level death threats against me, my staff, my family. Calling me and threatening to kill my family, and and oftentimes I get these calls. I'm frankly just tired of these threats uh, coming anonymously to us. Recently, someone said that they were going to Uh, rape and kill uh, my children, Uh, and and they were using the language that Kevin McCarthy was using. Right, Kevin
1: McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, the English language. Nobody should be threatened, but they like it because then they can get security detail. They can get people protecting them. And Liz Cheney, here she is with uh, some, I think these are Secret Service members, right? She put this picture in her book. The message is, look how important I am. Hey, wouldn't you like to be driven to work by a bodyguard, right? That's what they want. They really do. And Kevin McCarthy, man, look, I'm no big Kevin McCarthy fan at all, but she is unbelievably mean and snide and so disrespectful and never acknowledges that maybe Kevin, well, he's a politician. He has to negotiate. He, 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 we all know he changes his mind, but she was so contemptuous of him, Kevin this and Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Interestingly, when Nancy Pelosi shows up, she reveres Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi gives her a call on the phone, and uh, let's see, she's in the cloakroom or someplace like that. I stepped into an empty office to take the call. Hello, Liz. Hi, Madam Speaker. It's always Madam Speaker. She is enamored with Democrats or anybody who's not elected. Very, very interesting when you... uh, when you look at it that way. Mike Johnson, the new speaker, back then he wasn't speaker, but I don't know, this is how kind of Liz sees the world. If Liz doesn't agree with you, you must be wrong. Here's what she said about Mike Johnson during the whole election um, uh, discussion. Mike repeatedly held himself out as a constitutional lawyer. I know many constitutional lawyers, including many conservative constitutional lawyers. Not a single one of them agreed with Mike. Well, instead of going to court, right? Well, just her friends, which ones agree with Mike or not? When you are Liz Cheney and you grew up on the knee, on the lap of presidents like Gerald Ford, here she is in her book, a picture, you start to think that you and your friends are probably better than you and your friends. Know what I mean? Um, something, something very anti-democratic about this. Just like the January 6th hearings, um, they were disgusting in so many ways. No real cross-examination. You know what, what she said? Well, if Bill Barr was cross-examined, he would have done a good job. <laughs> let us see that. Let, let the people figure that out. She's like, our witnesses were so good, they, they could not have cross-examined them and scored any points. It doesn't work that way. And then there's the matter of Caroline Edwards, the Capitol Hill cop. You know, the testimony of Officer Caroline Edwards stirred the same anger and resolve that had motivated me since I sat in the House chamber on January 6th. These members of our Capitol Police had sacrificed for each of us and for the same Constitution we all swore to uphold. Not a word about the massive security failure and who knows what else it might have been on January 6th, huh? Caroline Edwards, all these cops, political leaders using them and hiding behind them.
6: Listen.
3: Never in my wildest dreams did I think that as a police officer, as a law enforcement officer, I would find myself in the middle of a battle. She bumped
1: her head that day. Police officers are shot and killed way too often in America. What did she think she was signing up for when she joined the police department? You never have to fight a riot. You're not a crossing guard. We all went through Black Lives Matter summer, right? We saw what can happen. We saw what happened to cops. Back to the book, the Liz Cheney book. What does she say here? Oh, yeah. One officer came to her and said, ma'am. I fought in Iraq, and I have never encountered the violence I did out there today. This is on January 6th. Then he repeated the point to make sure I understood. It was medieval and bloodthirsty. It was unfathomable that this was happening in the United States of America. Okay. Worse than Iraq? I have to show you those two star cops, Fanon, Hodges, and the rest. Remember those guys who testified? Yeah, I had a great time. The three of the four have book deals, I believe. Look at what they, uh, how they appeared less than 10 days after January 6th. He looks very spry and uninjured. Same goes for Hodges, who claimed that his head was crushed. Um, let's take a look what real heroes look like, okay? That they mentioned Iraq in the book. This is what somebody who's wounded in war looks like. It's tough. It's tough, right? People have been severely burned, lost limbs, and they exaggerate January 6th to make it think it's like this. It really bothers me, and I hope it bothers you. All right. Liz claims to know history really, really well. This is how she starts off her book. Let's actually do the audio version.
2: For my parents, who taught me to love America and read her history.
1: And read her history. Very pompous sounding, right? Very, very pompous. So, back to the book on January 6th. You know, oh, what happened that Confederate flag? Some guy was, you know, I didn't think this was a good moment at all. I don't, you know, I don't, that, that shouldn't have happened. But this is what Jamie Raskin says to her, and they have a little exchange. As I sat back down, Raskin was still opposite me, looking down at his phone. Liz, he said, there is a Confederate flag flying inside the United States Capitol. All right. I couldn't believe it. That hadn't happened even during the Civil War. My God, Jamie, what have they done? And I thought to myself, you know what? It has not happened, not even, it's never happened at the Capitol. And in about 90 seconds, I found about 10 examples of it happening in the Capitol. Yeah. Hey, just a couple of years ago, they had the South Carolina flag. That was flying in the Capitol. And here's a scene at the White House with Confederate flags and President Coolidge, right? They took these flags all over uh, Washington, D.C. that day. It was part of some sort of reconciliation anniversary project. I don't know, but... Liz even gets her history wrong. Much more to come. And the very strange and dangerous thing she did with former secretaries of defense. Can you imagine snapping your fingers and getting 10 former secretaries of defense to do your bidding? She pulled that off. I'll be right back. All right. A few more things about this silly, weird And very, very creepy book. You know, half the book is Liz Cheney summarizing things that we weren't there for. I really told Mike Johnson what I was thinking. And I got, she always comes out like with the upper hand. This time she writes a constituent, false information. Yeah. She's getting mail from people who live in Wyoming. They don't like her. She doesn't appear to like them. You don't lie to people you respect or like, right? Here's Liz writing to a constituent the following, Trump provoked the mob attack. And once it was underway, he failed to take action to stop the mob and instead tweeted out that Vice President Pence is a coward. Now here she is, right? And this is what they've all done, stirring the pot hyping something, making it into something and leaving very critical things out, and misleading everyone. First off, coward, that's one heck of a word. Them's fighting words. Donald Trump did not call Vice President uh, Mike Pence a coward. He didn't. Let's look at the tweet that day. Look at the first line. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution. Now. That's a big difference. I'm sorry. If you think this is a fine point, lacking courage, okay. You lack the courage that day. Try again. Coward. Coward is a word that men used to have duels over, right, back in the 1700s or whatever. You call somebody a coward, watch out. Lacking courage, you see how she does that, though? Hypes it. And this whole thing, you know, like Donald Trump just sat there and watched television as if Donald Trump had a duty to, I don't know, as if he were a security guard. Mike Pence in the parking garage that day, right, on the phone. Notice he's on the phone. This is one of the exclusive pictures from the evacuation of Mike Pence as he waited out the riot upstairs. Well, this bothers me, and this actually is evidence that there was a plot against President Trump, in my opinion. Um, David Muir asked uh, Mike Pence about where the president was that day, and did he call him?
6: Over the course of several hours, you spoke with the acting defense secretary. You spoke with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley. I did. You spoke with the acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen, with the chief of Capitol Police. Where was the president in all this?
5: David, I was at the
6: Capitol. I wasn't at the White House. And when you learned later that he was watching all this unfold on TV? I I can't account for what the president was doing that day. I was at a loading dock in the Capitol where riot was taking place. But why wasn't he making these calls? That would be a good question for him.
1: No, actually, it's a good question for you. Why didn't you call the president if your situation was so tense? You're on the phone, let's see here, with the attorney general, the chief of staff of the United States military, the Department of Defense, the acting secretary, all of these people. You had a phone. You didn't call the president. Why not? The president of the United States is not a security guard. It does not work that way. Vice President Pence was protected by the Secret Service. You know what the Secret Service has? An operations center. I mean, it's not just the guys who are with Pence. they got this whole huge apparatus. Donald Trump is not in the operational loop, and they're trying to pull fast one sounds too innocent. They are lying to the American people about this. This is very, very important. Liz Cheney is a deceitful, dangerous woman. You can't forget that. She reveals herself in this book. And I'm not done. Who remembers this from 2020? The debate.
5: There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the care, four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage.
1: Okay, remember the letter? They all signed that letter. 50 intelligence officials signed a letter telling us that the laptop was bogus, right? 50 former intelligence officials. They all did that, they all did that. And just a few months later, Liz had another idea. Hey, let's get the secretaries of defense to say something about Trump. We decided to mobilize the former secretaries of defense to try to. There were 10 living secretaries. What if all 10 of them would sign a letter of warning? It would be unprecedented that all of these secretaries, way before January 6th, were gonna write a letter saying that Trump could not contest the election anymore. Um, that's not wrong. that's not correct he can and this is very creepy the military essentially the military industrial establishment telling politicians what they can do i want to go to that letter that liz arranged in about 10 minutes working the phones this is what the secretary said the time for questioning the results has passed The time for the formal counting of the electoral college votes as prescribed in the Constitution and statute has arrived. Now, there is the matter of the Electoral Count Act of 1887 and the Constitution that says you can raise objections. The military essentially is saying you can't. In 2017, before Trump was elected, Jamie Raskin stood up. He objected would the military say that he couldn't do this? Uh, I have an objection
5: because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified. Is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? Is it in writing, Mr. President? Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yet, Mr. President. In that case, the objection cannot be entertained.
1: According to the military... You can't even raise the objection. What has this country come to? This letter, on full public view, and nobody raised this, and it's still out there in books. This is what they write. Efforts to involve, or Liz actually probably wrote for them, efforts to involve the U.S. Armed Forces in resolving election disputes would take us into dangerous, unlawful, and unconstitutional territory. Absolutely. Amen. So this very letter... That's what they're doing right there. You get it? Next, let's see here. Civilian and military officials who direct or carry out such measures would be accountable, including potentially facing criminal penalties for the grave consequences of their actions on our republic. Christopher Miller and his subordinates, political appointees, officers, and civil servants are each bound by oath, law, and precedent to facilitate the entry into office Of the incoming administration it may have been theoretical it may have been a long shot but if enough senators and members of congress and they had the debate and the objections were discussed and somebody said you know what maybe there is some election fraud here it is conceivable and it was under the law it could have happened that people could have changed their mind about the election look i didn't write the constitution i didn't write the electoral act of 1887 The military has no business telling these elected leaders what they can and cannot do. And that's what Liz Cheney orchestrated. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? So remember her father, right? He exploited 9-11 to go into Iraq, a country that did not attack us, right? And you know the cost we paid, right? The price we paid for that. Liz Cheney is doing the same thing Liz Cheney and her allies which is essentially the entire establishment exploding January 6th to cancel us to cancel MAGA to cancel Trump and she, she's lying totally to achieve her objectives thanks Liz for the book you didn't think anybody would read it did you? you incriminated yourself and this is evidence I'll be right back on locking up Donald Trump before the election. You know, when he announced the indictment, the whole thing was outrageous, but maybe this was the most outrageous, uh, or one of them, during his announcement of the January 6th uh, charges. Listen. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. Well, a speedy trial? In the Constitution, that's kind of up to the defendant. Very rarely, if ever, do you see the government talk about a speedy trial. Um, But look, they want to get this thing done before the election. And something really strange has happened. Jack Smith has asked that an issue be seen by the Supreme Court. Right now, it's at the appellate level. You know, Donald Trump has the right to appeal, and the appeal situation, well, has a process. First, you go to the appeals court, and then I guess in Trump's case, it would be the Supreme Court. But he wants to kind of bypass all that stuff because they want to get this done before the election. Uh, 18 attorneys general from across the United States have filed a brief for uh, SCOTUS. They want Jack Smith's request to be halted, halted. They should not be taking up this issue, I think, in lieu or before the appeals court does. We're joined by two of the attorneys general now who are involved in this effort. We have with us Patrick Morrissey, the attorney general of West Virginia. He's been in office since 2013. I believe the the appeal itself, though, the lead was filed by Steve Marshall, attorney general for Alabama. Welcome to you both, gentlemen. Look, I'm not a lawyer. You heard me say (laughs) a lot of things that I hope were generally correct. But, uh, Steve Marshall, why don't you frame this up for us and – I mean, really, this is kind of crazy that they want this, they want to skip the appeals court, right?
6: Yeah, and Greg, I think you framed the question absolutely perfectly. The right to a speedy trial belongs to Donald Trump. It took the Department of Justice over 30 months after the allegations containing the indictment to bring these charges against Donald Trump, but now they want to somehow or another make sure that he's tried the day before Super Tuesday. The efforts of the special counsel to go directly to the Supreme Court are unprecedented, and he's given no compelling reason for it to happen other than to parlay the political will of Joe Biden, and that's no place in court.
1: Patrick Morrissey, um, please share with us anything you'd like to share. And I'm also curious, how would the appeals court feel right now, Uh, you know, that they kind of, that the Jack Smith seems to be going around them, wants immediate relief or immediate attention? Uh, Care to comment on that?
4: Look, I think all of this reeks of political interference at the highest level, and we all know what's going on here. I think Attorney General Marshall is absolutely right. When you wait 30 months and then you have a date and it's you're so desperate to say March 4th, why, the significance in order to harm it, that raises serious questions about the motives of what's going on. But I think your point is right. The reality is you have to go through the Court of Appeals process. There's nothing extraordinary about that. And the Supreme Court historically has always looked to make sure that it doesn't get ahead of the curve with the Court of Appeals. So if I'm the Court of Appeals, I'm very upset right now because you could see this is a march toward uh, a political outcome. And I think the Supreme Court should reject it.
1: Wow. Uh, well, gosh, I, I, really, I thank you, gentlemen, for doing what you're doing. A lot of lawyers are not stepping up these days, and, 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 and this injustice seems very obvious. This is Merrick Garland, by the way, when he appointed Jack Smith uh, uh, last year, I believe. Go ahead.
6: Throughout his career, Jack Smith has built a reputation as an impartial and determined prosecutor who leads teams with energy and focus to follow the facts wherever they lead. As special counsel, he will exercise independent prosecutorial judgment to decide whether charges should be brought.
1: Now, I could make the case that none of that was uh, apparent or true because of the conflict of interest. His wife, you know, being um, an associate of Barack Obama's and uh, Michelle Obama's and the money they gave. But his conduct so far, apart from this, uh, Steve Marshall, uh, what other things has Jack Smith done, if anything, that, that alarms you?
6: Well, let's look back. Joe Biden said in November of last year that Donald Trump wouldn't be the president. And then you have the appointment of Jack Smith. And then we see this indictment coming forward. Both commentators on the left and right have acknowledged that this most recent pleading is not only unprecedented, but there's no factual and legal basis for it to go forward. It shows the desperation of this administration in trying to try Donald Trump far before the case is right, before the appellate courts have had an opportunity to weigh in. It's clearly something that we have never seen before, and it just shows, again, the efforts of this special counsel to do the bidding of this failed presidency.
1: It seems to me, and I, again, commend you, gentlemen, for what you're doing. You do have the protection of your constituents. You were voted into office, and that's great. I feel like there should be greater outrage. There should be more people, even people on the other side, on the left, left left-leaning judges, retired or whatever. Judge Ludig's on our side, you know what I mean, saying that this is outrageous. I think it's been dismal so far, and it gives me doubts about, quite frankly, the law profession in general. Patrick Morrissey, do you share my concerns, or am I being over the top?
4: Look, I do, but all of this was predictable. And you may remember I came on, I believe, your show or some others over the summer, and I argued that if you were going to continue to have this process operate in Washington, D.C., that would color all the proceedings and that you could see this process unfolding that they were gonna try to move forward and get something quickly done as opposed to transferring something to West Virginia or to another jurisdiction where people would know that there'd be inherent fairness in the system. And so that's what's so disturbing about it. We knew from the very beginning that when you have bad political motives, it colors the process, it paints it in a way that can't be fixed. I think that's what we're dealing with here. And when I keep hearing March 4th, March 4th, then it's right in the middle of the political season. This is an unprecedented action. And that's why you see so many attorneys general step up, but it should be something that Democrats, independents, Republicans say, let's go through the normal process. No one is above the law, but no one's beneath it either. And President Trump deserves to have, uh, be treated the right way here.
1: You know, they want D.C., they have selected D.C., 92 percent Democrat, the jury pool. And, oh, by the way, let's put that up just to confirm the number. It is, they're very politically active there. I mean, a lot of them are employed by the government, the deep state. We know how they feel. Uh, Attorney General Marshall, could you uh, kind of comment on my question there about the legal community in general? You know, are they doing enough? There isn't, I still believe, not sufficient outrage on this matter and there should be bipartisan outrage, but I guess this is the, the world we live in.
6: I think it is, unfortunately. But we did see uh, more briefs that were filed in support of the very arguments that we've made. And when Meese, for example, was able to weigh in with the Supreme Court with uh, a similar argument. Well, look, we ought to see the outrage coming from Colorado and see this is par for the course, where the Democrats are attempting to engage in a co-opting of the judicial system to prop up a failed presidency. My hope is that the Supreme Court will stand strong, believe that they will, and give President Trump an opportunity to have a fair trial, and ultimately in Colorado, for Republican voters to be able to vote for who their candidate of choice is uh, for the Republican primary.
1: Steve Marshall, the Attorney General for Alabama, and Patrick Morrissey, the Attorney General for West Virginia. Gentlemen, real, really great to have you on tonight. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much. We'll be right back.
4: On January 6, 2021, domestic terrorists the president has empowered
0: for years, stormed the Capitol. On January 6th, and then once the terrorists stormed the Capitol, he did everything but intervene.
3: January 6th, there's a lot of domestic terrorists.
6: This process of the terrorists who attacked the Capitol on January 6th.
0: The entire Republican Party apparatus has decided to wrap their arms around domestic terrorists.
1: Oh my gosh. Do they ever um, have no shame? Get over yourselves. Hey, the guy in the mask, that's Brandon Strzok, happened to be on January 6th, actually. He didn't hurt anybody, he didn't break anything, Uh, but they put him through hell and uh, they try to cancel him. But you can't mess with Brandon Strzok. He is on top. He just uh, had a major win in a bogus lawsuit that was filed against him. We're joined by Brandon Strzok, of course, founder of the Walk Away campaign, and his lawyer, Julianne Murray, uh, state chair of the Delaware Republican Party and co-counsel on this case for Brandon. Welcome to you both. Uh, congratulations, Brandon. Uh, you gotta tell me exactly what the heck went down here. I'm not totally, I thought you were out of the woods, Everybody knows your story. Uh, once you did your sentence for showing up at the Capitol, even though you didn't hurt anybody or break anything, but anyway, they sued you.
0: Who did and why? Well, yes, January 6th is the gift that keeps on giving again and again and again. So here we are um, almost three years later, but about 10 months after the FBI raided my house and took me to jail, I was served in a civil lawsuit called Smith versus Trump. To give you a little background, this is a Soros-funded Nonprofit law firm out of washington dc called lawyers committee for civil rights under law they have a long history of uh suing republicans and engaging in law to try to destroy people's names reputation and of course bankrupt people uh, but they came up with a case where uh eight capitol police officers who are black and brown were being represented pro bono by this law firm alleging a civil rights conspiracy suing us under the kkk act myself and several other people Alleging that we engage in a civil rights conspiracy to attack black and brown officers on January sixth, they came at me with six counts, uh, including assault and battery. Now, initially, after about a year and a half of working through this case, I had the first four counts against me dropped, but the judge kept me in the case under the uh, the counts of assault and battery, and we actually had to enter discovery at that point. And we got the opportunity uh, to compel answers from these plaintiffs, these black and brown police officers, asking them questions like, where, where were you during the time that Brandon Strock was at the Capitol? You're alleging that he assaulted you. You're alleging assault and battery. And what we found out was that not a single one of these Capitol police officers was even working on the same side of the building where I was standing outside the building for eight minutes. One of them, Capitol uh. Police Officer Michael Fortune, was actually in Maryland at the time that I was at the Capitol, but nonetheless trying to get a, a monetary judgment from me for assault and battery and civil rights violations. Oh, boy. All right. Julianne Murray, I take it. Who, who saw the
1: light on this one? The judge? Uh, how did this thing? It went away, right? Dismissed. Tell us, uh, tell us how that went down.
3: It did. And, you know, Brandon, a per- perfect recap there, as usual. Uh, you know, basically, what happened here was you know, the first four counts or six counts you know, get dismissed. And the, the, the two that were left aiding and abetting assault and battery so ridiculous just in terms of once we knew Brandon was on one side they're on the other side you have to be able to be in proximity in order to you know, to assault or batter so it was ridiculous but it was you know pulling the strings and going through it but one of the legal options that we could take was to remove it from federal court because assault and battery were actually they're, they're local, basically. Instead of being federal crimes, they could come in under the D.C. local ordinances. And so that's what, you know, we, uh, you know, co-counsel, we worked together, got that before the judge, and he actually agreed, you know what, I don't need to keep federal jurisdiction on this. This is a D.C. case. Move it to D.C.
1: All right. Hey, by the way, is anybody else up? Brandon, you're out of the woods here, but uh, are they going after others? Has this lawsuit or similar type lawsuits uh,
0: been filed against January 6th defendants? So, Greg, I am one of several people who are being sued in this lawsuit. And it's actually very sad because some of the co-defendants in this case, uh, I don't know these people. I've never met them, but some of them are proud boys. Some of them are oath keepers. And some of them are people who are actually sitting in federal prison right now and have been for years. And so in addition to all of these problems that they have, a lot of these people, of course, have lost their homes, they've lost their cars, they've lost lost their life savings, trying to defend themselves in criminal cases. Now you add to this a civil case that obviously they can't afford. Uh, Many of them don't even have lawyers that are showing up for them. And by the time that they get out of prison, they're probably going to have a default judgment against them in this case. So it's this massive, disgusting pylon. That's it's very disturbing. But if I may say, too, one thing that uh, additional detail of this case is that when we had the option, uh, it was tossed out of federal court and the, the plaintiffs had the option to refile against me in district court, these same two counts. You know, our attorneys went to them and said, if you continue forward with these lies, we're going to seek sanctions against you and we're going to countersue these defendants. And that was the moment when they just collapsed like a house of cards and said they cried uncle and said we quit. So at this point, they backed out of the case.
1: Brandon, thank you. Julianne, final word. Um, gosh, this is, uh, this is really tough. Just your overall feelings as a lawyer that we've come to this kind of place in America.
3: It's disgusting. I mean, this was a witch hunt from the beginning. When, you know, when Brandon, Brandon and I met through other channels and, uh, and, and in terms of my being an attorney, you know, my attitude, my you know, being able, he wanted me to be the one that was deposing plaintiffs in this case. I was actually looking forward to that, but this was, you know, it is just, it it is lawfare, and that is a problem we're seeing everywhere, and Brandon absolutely should have never been in this case, and I'm so glad that we were able to get this resolution for him because it was just a miscarriage completely.
1: Excellent work, both of you, Brandon and Julianne, to be continued, and please check out the walkaway campaign, walkawaycampaign.com, and we'll be right back.
5: There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America.
1: Yeah, right. Con man, con man conning us back almost 20 years ago, trying to get everybody to like him. And it worked. It worked. But it uh, turned out he wasn't really about uniting this country. He really does seem dead set on destroying it, at least ripping apart our culture and making everything about race. He was supposed to be beyond race. Anyway, you know he's in many businesses now including the entertainment business. He has that uh, sweet deal with, what is it, Netflix? And he's got a company called Higher Ground Productions. It should be From the Gutter Productions, really. Everything is about race and, I don't know, making, well, in this case, making white people feel bad about themselves, attempted.
0: I'm asking for you to remember that if the world falls apart, trust should not be dulled out easily to anyone, especially white people. Even mom would agree with me on that.
6: I don't
1: know. If I were a producer, I'd say, you know what? We ought to clip that. Huh? Do we really want to say this about our audience? I don't think so. Anyway, uh, not a fan. Uh, and I think that's all I got time for. I'll be right back. You know, folks, I thank God for my wonderful wife, my kids, my country, the greatest nation ever. And Americans like you who believe in the truth, The Chris Salcedo Show will never stop fighting for you.
5: The Chris Salcedo Show, for the news you need to know.
1: Well, that's it. All right. So every night we end with the kids, Uh, Madeline on the right and Annalise, her big sister on the left. Look at that. Matching Elmo pajamas. Isn't that great? Uh, They're getting along a little bit better. You know, for a while there, gosh, the big sister. (laughs) Pushing around her little sister. Anyway, uh, i got to show you my wife one of these days. She's a bit camera shy. Thanks so much for watching. I will see you tomorrow.
5: Hey, guys, it's Carson. Christmas is almost here. And I've got a really great gift idea for you. Why don't you give yourself the new streaming service Newsmax Plus? Move over, woke Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu. Just start Newsmax Plus. I just subscribed. I love it. Get Newsmax Best Shows with Rob Schmidt, Eric Bowling, Greta Von Susteren, Greg Kelly, and more. You also get lots of movies, documentaries, history, comedy. Newsmax Plus just launched and more than 180,000 people have signed up. Newsmax Plus lets you watch the Newsmax channel on your phone or home TV app. And Newsmax Plus is the only streamer to give you all the Donald Trump rallies. Fox News censors most of them. So get Newsmax Plus today. It's free to start. Just go to Newsmax Plus, spell out the plus, dot com. Again, start your free trial by going to NewsmaxPlus.com. That's newsmaxplus.com. dot com. Millions are switching to Newsmax, so try it for free today.